My name's John Redman, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be talking about the good old days. Now, the good old days are those times in our lives that we look back on with great fondness and with much sentimentality. The good old days are those memories we have from our childhood or maybe from our teenage years or maybe from our young adult life or just some earlier season in life. We look back and we think, man, those were the good old days. Look at all the good things I had going on in my life back during those seasons. And the fact is we should be thankful for our past as we look back on all the blessings of yesterday. We should be grateful to God for all the good things that he has done for us and all the blessings that he's given us. But the truth is we cannot live in the past. You can't recapture the good old days. We have to live in the present, in the here, and in the now. And so if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open it to the book of Haggai in the Old Testament. It's kind of a hard book to find, but it's a great little book. It only has two chapters. And today we're going to be looking in Haggai chapter number two, and we're going to be learning about a group of people who was living in the past. They were trying to recapture a happier and a better season of their lives. When God spoke through this prophet named Haggai, and God said through him, you can't go back to the past, you can't live in the past, but you don't need to, because the things I have planned for you for your present and for your future are even greater than the blessings of your past. And so, thanks for listening today. I pray that this program will be a real blessing to you. If you'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of Haggai. Now, it's not every Sunday that you hear a preacher say that, but Haggai is one of those little books in the Bible that we need to know something about. In fact, it's the second shortest book in all of the Old Testament. The only one shorter is Obadiah, but one day we're going to get to heaven and Haggai's going to say, well, how'd you like my book? And we're going to say, now, what book did you write? He's going to say, well, it was, it was in the Bible. We'll say, oh, we like the Bible. We, were, we love the Bible. He said, yeah, but one of my book was in the Bible. And we're going to say, Haggai, what was your book about? Please refresh my memory. And he might say something like this. Well, here is my book's meaning in a nutshell. In the year 586 B.C., the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem and completely destroyed the temple. And after they did that, they took many of us, thousands of us, most of us who lived in Jerusalem, they took us to Babylon, and we were there for 70 years in Babylonian captivity, missing our homeland. And after those 70 years came to an end, we began to go back. The Babylonians by that time had been defeated by the Persians, and Cyrus was the king of Persia, and he said, all the Jews living in this region can now return home, and they can rebuild their temple. And so Haggai would say to us, we were so excited that we could go back to Jerusalem and that we could get to work on that temple, and so that's what we did. We went back there, and we laid the foundation of the temple, but right about the time we were actually going to start building that temple, we began to encounter some opposition. 
There were some people from some other countries and some other groups that did not like the thought of the Jews rebuilding their temple because they knew that that would give us more power and credibility in the region. And so they did everything they could to intimidate us, to stop us from rebuilding that temple. And they were quite successful because for over 15 years, the work on the temple stopped. It wasn't only the intimidation and the opposition by those others, Haggai would remind us. He would say, part of the problem was our own selfishness. We were more concerned with building our own homes and building our own properties and rebuilding our own lands and our own estates that our love for our own houses was actually greater than our love for God's house. That was part of the problem. And in the midst of this, God spoke to me and God said, Haggai, I have something I want you to do. You not only are my child, but you're my prophet. And as my prophet, it is your job to stand before the people and tell them what I tell you to say. And here's what I want you to say to my people. It is time for you to start rebuilding my house. You're more concerned with your house than with my house. And it's time now to get back to work. And Haggai would say to us, and so that's what I did. I told all those Jews living in Jerusalem that what we were doing was wrong. We had become self-centered. We had forgotten about the things of God, and we needed to get right. We needed to get back to work, and we needed to finish rebuilding that temple. And when I gave that message, that's exactly what happened. And we started rebuilding it, and it was only a matter of about four years from my announcement, my prophecy, my proclamation, my sermon till the temple was actually finished. It's interesting, the first temple in Jerusalem's history was built by King Solomon. It's simply known as Solomon's Temple. It was absolutely beautiful. That was the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians, and we have a picture of that temple. If you can can see that, you can just see how ornate and how beautiful and how large that temple was. And after that temple had been destroyed and then The Jews returned to Jerusalem. It was under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. Everybody say that name together. Zerubbabel. That'll wake you up. Say it again. Zerubbabel. It's kind of a tongue twister there. Zerubbabel became the governor of Judah. And he was the one politically who spearheaded the rebuilding of that temple. Haggai spearheaded it spiritually, but Zerubbabel had the political clout and power. And so the second temple is known as Zerubbabel's temple. The only problem with Zerubbabel's temple is that Zerubbabel's temple was not anywhere near as beautiful as Solomon's temple. In fact, we have a a picture of that showing you how much smaller that temple was. You may look at other pictures and find Zerubbabel's temple to have been slightly larger than that, but that certainly makes the point that Zerubbabel's temple was much smaller than Solomon's temple. So much so that we read in Ezra chapter 3 that when the foundation of Zerubbabel's temple was laid, that many of the older people who had seen Solomon's temple began to cry and they began to weep and they thought, oh my goodness gracious, compared to the temple we once had, this is nothing, this is an embarrassment, this is just so very small. Now the younger people 
who had never seen Solomon's temple, when they saw the foundation for Zerubbabel's temple, they cheered, they clapped, they thought, man, this is great, but not the older people, because the older people had something to compare it to. And they said, compared to what we once had, this is truly pitiful. Now, in Haggai chapter 2, we read a similar thing as that. Look in verse number 3. The Bible says, who is left, Haggai is speaking, and he says, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do we see it, or how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? So we're led to believe that Haggai was probably on up in years by the time he gave this because he's saying those of us who had seen Solomon's temple now look at Zerubbabel's temple and it breaks our heart because it's not anywhere near as large, as ornate, as beautiful, as impressive as the temple that we grew up with and that our fathers were so active in. And so there was sadness among that older group. Why was there sadness? What were they really sad about? They were sad because they were missing the good old days. And that's why I've entitled this sermon this morning, The Good Old Days. The good old days are those times in our lives, in our past, that we look back on with great fondness and with great sentimentality. Everybody likes to talk about the good old days. For some of you, the good old days was that time in your life when your kids lived at home and you were going to ball games and dance recitals and choir programs and all those things. And when you look at your life, you look at that season of maybe 15 or 16 or 18 years and you say, man, those were the good old days when my kids lived at home. For others of you, the good old days began when your kids moved out of the house. (laughs) You said, free at last. Now we can get back with our life. Well, I mean, it's interesting what you would define as the good old days. Some of you who've been in Houston for all your lives, you, you might look back on the good old days as that love you blue era when the Houston Oilers owned this town. And love you blue was the, the name of the game around here. For some of you, you might look back on a season in your life. You say, well, I never was really a big football fan. But I tell you what, I, when I think about the good old days, when we used to go to the Astrodome and when we used to eat those hot dogs out there and we used to watch those, those guys that played ball back in the, in, the, in the 70s and in the 80s, for me, that, that was the good old days. Some of you who've really been around here for a long time, you might say, you know what, for me, the good old days are those memories I have taking my family when there used to be Astroworld there right across from the dome. I remember in 1979, I visited Astroworld for the first time and and we, my dad and I had flown to Houston to go to the Southern Baptist Convention. I was only 10 years old. But the highlight of that whole experience was I met Billy Graham and I rode Grease Lightning at, the, at Astroworld. <laughs> and it was about a tie for me. On that. You know, and so if you, if you went to down memory lane in your own mind, you might think, man, the Astroworld, Grease Lightning, Funnel Cakes, all those things that we used to experience out there. Those were the good old days. I had an experience a couple of months ago. I was invited to go back to Tennessee to the church where my dad pastored in the 1970s where Joel and I had grown up and and to preach for him there in in their church. And so I had not been back to that church in many years. In fact, I had never preached in their new worship center. That church is similar to ours. It's a little bit smaller, but uh, they have relocated. They've built a new 
beautiful worship center, seats about 1,500 people. And so they said, John, would you come over here and preach? And so I said, yeah, I would love to do that. And, and you know, while I was there, I just I kind of started in my mind thinking about the good old days. I got to thinking about my childhood. Got to thinking about where we had grown up. And while I was there, I said to the minister who had invited me to preach, who's been at that church for over 35 years. In fact, my dad hired him back in the 1970s. He's just stayed there for all these years. And uh, just a good man and a godly man. And we were there. I said, hey, would you mind on Sunday afternoon, maybe if you drive me out to the house where, I used, where we used to live. And I just sure would like to see that. I, you know, I'm a sentiment. I'm almost a girl on some things. I'm almost a girl. <laughs> And so I said, could you just take me up there and let me see the old house? And he did. You guys, I know you're not interested in this, but you have to act. This is like my childhood. So he took me back, and I got my phone, and I took a picture. I want you to see the the childhood home right there. And right to the left of that, there was a, uh, still is, a vacant lot, really, that they'll never be able to build on because they have those power lines. And so that's where we played football all our lives growing up. Joel and I, we call that Redmond Field. And so, uh, I mean, we played so many games up there and, and had so much fun up there. And, and I went back and I just got to see that. And, you know, I just thought, man, these are, the good, these are my first memories in life. I, don't, I, I was born in Georgia, but I don't remember that. Lived briefly in Fort Worth as a kid, but I don't remember that. But it was over there in Tennessee. Those are my first memories in life. In fact, back in 2011, my dad and I went back to Tennessee and we went and watched the University of Tennessee football game. We, when we lived there back in the 70s, we had season tickets, and so we, we went to most all the games, and hadn't been back in Neyland Stadium in 30 years, over 30 years since I'd been back in the game, and I want you to see a picture of this stadium. Now, I know we have Longhorns and Aggies and everything else in here today, but I grew up watching football in that stadium right there, University of Tennessee, right, that stadium is, just sits right there on the banks of the, uh, of the Tennessee River, and, and so I'm back in that stadium, and, and we, were in the, when, we were in our seats, and and, uh, you know, the team was getting ready to run out. And over there in Knoxville, when the volunteers get ready to run out, the band makes a tee, and they start playing the song Rocky Top. And uh, the, ten- the team runs out through that tee. And, you know, I was raised on Jesus Loves Me and Rocky Top. Those are how I came up. <laughs> and so I'm just, you know, music is a powerful thing. Have you noticed that? Like when you hear a song on the radio, maybe it was the first song you and your, your, now she's your wife, but it was, she was your girlfriend, and that was the first song that the two of you ever heard on a date together. And you're like, wow. And every time you hear that song, your mind goes back to that. Well, music does that to me, too. And so we were sitting there in the stadium, and the band came out. They started making that tea, and they started playing the music that leads up to Rocky Top. And then they started playing Rocky Top. And, man, I got emotional. I, nearly started, I kind of started crying. And Dad looked over at me and said, you cry? what's wrong with you? Are you crying? <laughs> What kind of man are you? I said, no, no, that guy in front of us is smoking. That's all his problem. <laughs> Tearing me up. It's not me. No, I, I mean, we're going we're gonna to win this game today. But I was crying. I mean, not uncontrolled. I wasn't sobbing, but I was, my mind went back. Why? Because it was the good old days. And I think all of us can relate on one level or another. Those times, those seasons in our lives when maybe it was our first memories, our first childhood memories, but we look back on that season with fondness. And with great sentimentality, sometimes the truth is we make the good old days in our minds better than they really were. My grandfather on my mom's side used to say that. He said, you know, everybody in my generation talks about the good old days. He said, let me tell you about the good old days. We walked everywhere we went. We didn't have air conditioning. We had to go outside to go to the bathroom. 
He said, I, somebody else can have the good old days. I like these days here. And so that, there is some truth in what he's saying that as time goes by, we tend to make the good old days perfect. And we forget, hey, we had problems in the good old days too. And yet we have those times in our lives, those, those memories, those, those times of sentiment. And, and we, we honor our past. We thank God for our past. We sometimes can go back and we can visit our past. And those are the good old days. But friend, I've learned something in life. We can't live in the good old days. We can't bring back the past. When I was in Tennessee, I asked this minister friend of mine, I said, could you take me to see Nichols School? That was the elementary school that Joel and I went to when we were growing up over there. He said, I'll take you where it was. He took me where it was. It's burned down. It's a parking lot for a Methodist church. I said, how the mighty have fallen right here. I mean, it's changed. You can't go back. I mean, the past, you can't step back into the past. Sometimes we think, oh, if I could just step back into that season. But you can't do it. And God knows we can't do it. And God knew that the people living in Judah couldn't go back. And while they were saying, oh, Solomon's temple was so much prettier, so much bigger, so much more impressive than Zerubbabel's temple, we wish we could go back to the good old days. And God said, Haggai, you've got to help these people understand. They can't go back to the good old days. You have to live in the present. You have to live in the here. You have to live in the now. We're thankful for the good old days. We're grateful for our past. But we can't go back there. We can't live there. We have to live in the here. And we have to live in the now. And so what I want to do in this message is give you some things that you can do. Right out of this verse. Right out of these verses. Some very practical things that you can do that will help you to live in the present and not spend all of your life longing and wishing and yearning for the good old days. So first of all, here's the, this is the most important of all, and that is focus on the presence of Jesus Christ. Focus on the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter Four, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 4 of Haggai. Look at this verse. Haggai says, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Say that part with me. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. God was saying, the temple that you're going to be building, it may not be as big as Solomon's, but I'm with you. And I don't want you to focus on what you had. I want you to focus on who you have now. I am still with you. And in verse 6, thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. Now that phrase, the desire of all nations, in my Bible, that word desire is capitalized. In many other translations, it is not capitalized. What is it talking about? What is the desire of all nations? Well, Jewish tradition says that that phrase is a reference to the Messiah. That, Je that, the, that They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they would say the Messiah is the desire of all nations. We would say Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the desire of all nations. And so remember, when Zerubbabel built his temple, it was... A few hundred years later, that a man named Herod the Great came on the scene, and he expanded Zerubbabel's temple. And so the temple that Jesus walked in when he was on this earth was 
It's not known as the third temple or Herod's temple. It's just known as this second temple. Herod's temple was an expansion of Zerubbabel's temple. And so what the Jewish people believe, that this is a reference to the Messiah, what we Christians believe is that this reference is a reference to Jesus Christ talking about in this temple that Zerubbabel was building, that Herod would one day expand, that one day Jesus Christ would walk in that temple and it was during this period of time that he would offer his life for hours, shedding his blood so that we might have peace with God. Now there's another group of theologians that say they don't think it's really referring to when Jesus walked in that temple when he was on earth. It's a reference to a temple that is yet to be built. You know if you go to Jerusalem today there is no temple. But the Jews are waiting to build the final temple. In fact, as I've mentioned before, they already have the furniture set aside in a specific place in the Jerusalem quarter of old Jerusalem, and they're ready to put that furniture in the temple. That temple will be built during the period of great tribulation, and it will become known as the millennial temple when Jesus comes back to earth at the second coming and when he moves into Jerusalem and sets up his reign where the Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron for a thousand years, he will be in this millennial temple. Some say it's a reference to, to that temple. when Jesus, But whichever temple it's referring to, it's a reference to Jesus. And so God was saying to Haggai, and Haggai said to Zerubbabel, our temple may not be as big as the first temple, but it is in this temple and through this temple and maybe as a picture of this temple that one day Jesus Christ will come and Jesus Christ will rule. And so the point I'm making is one way to quit living in the past and live in the present is to focus on the presence of Jesus Christ. I'll say this. However wonderful your past has been, Jesus Christ is better than every good memory you have in your past. I was thinking yesterday, I was sitting on my back porch watching it rain, kind of thinking about part of this sermon and thinking about this point about focus on Jesus. That's what, see, that's what God was saying. Don't focus on the old temple. It's not the building. It's my presence there with you. And see, that's what we have today. We have the presence of Jesus Christ with us. And I thought about an old song that said, Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. And I thought about all of you who would be here today. And I thought, I wonder how many of us can say that and mean it. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, is he your life? Paul said, Christ, who is our life. Some of us would have to say, well, Christ is part of my life. He's a big part of my life. He's the most important part of my life. But if that's all you say, it, he's still just a part of your life. Paul said, Christ, who is our life. The songwriter said, Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy. Is Jesus your joy? You're looking for your joy in something else. My all. What I'm saying and what God is saying to us today, the way to quit living in the past and the way to stop longing for the good old days is to focus on the presence of Jesus Christ now. That is so very true. There's something about focusing on the presence of Jesus in our lives right here and right now that gives us peace, gives us contentment, 
and it helps us to be satisfied with where we are in life right now instead of trying to go back and, and recapture some earlier season or instead of trying to relive the good old days. And so today, wherever you may be and whatever you may be experiencing, I want to encourage you to focus on Jesus Christ. He has promised that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us. If you have never received Jesus Christ personally by asking him to come into your heart and save you, today would be a great day for you to do that. I'm going to lead you in a little prayer. You can just pray this while you're driving your car. Or maybe you're in your home or wherever you might be. If you'll just pray this prayer from your heart to God's heart, He will save you today. Just say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Thank you that you'll never leave me. Thank you that I'll never have to be alone again because you're always with me. Begin now to make me the person you want me to be. In your name I pray. Amen. And friend, if you prayed that prayer today, God has heard you. God has answered that prayer. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you have called, and today God has answered. And He is with you wherever you might be. If you've never visited our website, I would encourage you sometime this week, take a few moments and visit us at peacebybelieving.org. That's peacebybelieving.org. On that website, you'll find archived sermons. You can also click on a tab called Spiritual Growth. And if you'll scroll down, you'll find a good number of booklets that we have written that you can read right there on your computer screen. So thank you for being with us today on Peace by Believing. We'll be looking forward to being with you next time.